Good morning slash afternoon wherever you guys are. My name is Adnan Shafi and I'd like to welcome you to another season of Pariah Nation. So today in this episode we're going to be tackling the topic of hate crime and we have a major expert today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, thank you for the kind introduction. Um, my name is Jessica Reese, and I am the National Hate Crime Manager for um, the Victim Support Report, Report and Support Centre at uh, Victim Support for Wales. That's wonderful. And just tell us a bit more about what you do and um, how hate crime easily affects people. What, what, how exactly do you help victims of hate crime and how do you help them transition from that state of trauma to a state of normalcy once again? Well, we support all sort of types of victims of hate crime. So uh, we support people that have reported to the police and have had the sort of confidence to do that. Um, and we're there um, from from sort of step one after you've reported, we'll get a referral through and we'll make contact and provide some immediate emotional support at mm. that point. But we also provide support to people who don't feel like they can go to the police. There are a lot of people out there who, for whatever reason, may not wish to go to the police or may have trust issues with the police. Um, so we also provide support um, despite whether you report it or not. And mm. our support is really tailored to the person, so whatever they need. For some people, that is just listening. It is, you know, it's a vehicle for people to talk to us. We're a listening, um, empathetic ear. We care. We validate your experience. Um, and for some people, that's all that they need. Um, quite often, people feel they can't turn to friends or family um, they don't want to be a burden on anybody else and they don't want to make their problems their family's problems. Mm. So speaking to somebody who's completely independent, it's all confidential. Um, it can be really helpful. Other people require some more practical support to help them. Um, that could be helping them with housing. Uh, we have a lot of people who experience hate crime and the offenders are their neighbours. Um, no. Yeah, so it's like your, your safe place, your place of sanctuary, your home is the place where you're being targeted. Uh, which can be really difficult for people. So we can help contact housing agencies, we can provide support in letters, um, we can help send uh, security items for their home to make them feel a bit safer. Mm. Um, so for some people, that's kind of the route that they would like to take the support. Um, and in other instances, we can provide police advocacy as well. So if, if you have reported to the police, we can sort of chase for updates, uh, make sure that you are kept updated and find out information for you about your case. Um, give you your crime reference number mm. and anything really that we think would help perhaps a, um, a safety check on your homes we can do referrals for that um, so there's there are different ways in which we can provide support I'd say the most of the time it's it is providing that emotional support for people mm. um, validating what they're going through um, people think that it's um, not something that should be taken seriously, seriously sometimes. Yeah. yeah, they think that it's trivial. Think that they shouldn't be bothering us busy people. We get that quite a lot. Oh, hmm. you know, you've got more people important people to support than me. Um, but that's never the case. No matter how small or trivial you think the matter is, it's important to us. Um, and that's hmm. kind of what we what we sort of promote when we provide support. Yeah, first of all, well done on the work that you're doing. I know for a lot of different countries, especially in an age where now we're entering a very polarized state of politics, mm -hmm. whether it's due to immigration, there's a lot of Islamophobia due to um, you know, organizations such as ISIS and Al-Qaeda mm -hmm. coming into fruition, all of these different things. Uh, so well done, first of all, in helping people who have been targeted by this. And I'd just like to also ask the question, what actually qualifies as hate crime? So a hate crime is any mm -hmm. criminal offence 
which is motivated by a prejudice or a hostility mm. based on five protected characteristics. And those five protected characteristics are race, uh, religion, uh, gender identity, sexual orientation, and disability. Mm. Um, and, you know, and they're, this, they're quite big uh, categories, as you would. Yeah. So <laughs> race can cover a lot. You know, it, it's, it's your skin colour, but it's also your ethnic origin. It's, you know, who, who you think you are. Um, it's it can be whether you're a gypsy Roma traveller. Mm. Um, it can be um it, it can be white Welsh and feel that you've been targeted for your race. You can be from a Bame background. Um, so the protected characteristics do cover a lot within. The same for disability. Many people have invisible disabilities that people can't see. Mm. Mental health issues. If you feel like you've been targeted for any one of those, that also can count as a hate crime. Um, mm. what happens quite a lot of hate incidents which yeah. are um, similar things so they are acts that are motivated by prejudice or hostility but they don't quite meet that criteria of a criminal offence but they are still things that have made you feel intimidated, harassed, not wanted um, mm. and those are things that can still be reported to the police and they can still be reported to us you can still get support for those incidents um, and they can actually help build up a, a bigger picture of what's going on um, but you just might perhaps not be able to go down the criminal route with sort of prosecuting. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess it's very difficult as a law student, I understand. Mm. You might not have solid evidence to take someone to court despite the fact that they have done something because it falls down to hearsay. Oh, yeah, you say this and I say that. So it becomes very confusing. Absolutely. Um, but uh, as well, I just wanted to like tackle the question of um, the, most of the cases that you're dealing with, right? Mm. Do they fall under violent cases or is it that someone, let's say they spray painted your car and, mm. you know, there was a racial slur that they spray painted? Like, what, what give us some examples of the cases yeah, that you've had to deal with? Yeah. Because, you know, some people will realize that, oh, hate crime is just literally commenting something on someone's mm. video. So what have you had to deal with? It's really varied. Um, and the cases that we have uh, do vary a lot. So... This range, it can range from um, sort of neighbours then, take for an example, parking issues. So somebody mm. with a disability blue badge um, having a parking space and other neighbours on the street feeling that they shouldn't for whatever reason mm. and then sort of purposely blocking that person in with their car. That yeah. stuff is really difficult to prove. And again, is, you know, is it being classed as a criminal offence to do that? Mm. But it, this person ultimately cannot leave can't get out of their house, can't get off their street, they're completely isolated. Um, mm. That happens quite a lot on um, on streets with neighbour issues. Um, it can be throwing dirty nappies over the wall, we get that a lot. Um, you know, we've had a, a woman who um, is Muslim and they've been sent, um, there's been thrown packs of bacon over her wall. So again, like they're obviously specifically targeting her religion there, but mm. there's actually it's hard to prove that that was their intent. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and a lot of um, hate crime, especially between neighbours, can be very careful and manipulated. Mm. And that person, that victim knows that it's targeted and knows why they're doing it, but the offender's doing it in a very clever way where mm. it's not necessarily can be proven. Um, so that's kind of like the, I say low level, but still massively impactful, um, mm -hmm. but low level sort of hate crime incidents that we might see. Um, others can be, you know, slurs on the street, um, public transport, um, and then escalate into, you know, we have had cases where people have been violently attacked for who mm. they are. Um, and they are, you know, the other end of the scale. Um, I think that the media can sometimes 
perpetrate that yeah yeah they they definitely portray hate crime as these brutal you know one-off incidents that are um perpetrating state stranger danger and that everyone needs to be scared of this sort of happening Mm. where sort of from our um, perspective or from from our work it tends to be more everyday hate crime that lower level but lower level sort of escalating abuse um that that we see more of Mm. Um, but that obviously doesn't make the media and the headlines because it's not very yeah, exciting. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we do we do still see obviously those those violent attacks, unfortunately. Um, mm. But they are less um, prevalent than the media would like to suggest. Yeah. No. First of all, like I think it's it's definitely when when it comes to a situation like that, you think oh it's just a bad neighbor. Mm. But yeah, a lot of the times you might find that it's actually deeply rooted hate mm-hmm. and. Uh, a lot of people think it's just a one-off incident, but no one's just going to go up to someone and, you know, remove their hijab just no. like that, you know? Mm-hmm. You might find that it's something that's, like, long-term, and then all of a sudden that person just snaps, Yeah. right? And um, two questions, actually. Mm-hmm. So what actually happens to these offenders, despite the fact that they're not criminally prosecuted? Mm-hmm. And then the second question is, what do you think is the main root of hate crime itself? Or are there several different routes? Does it have to do with ignorance? Does it have to do with just simple misunderstanding or a refusal to understand mm-hmm. or accept multiculturalism? What do you think has fueled it? That's, yeah, lots of questions there. Yeah. So, um, so, sorry, can you just repeat the first part of it? So, again? the first question? Yeah. What actually happens to, offenders, yeah, to yeah. the offenders? Yeah, yeah so if, uh, if there is no criminal um, prosecution that can happen due to lack of evidence or, um, you know, but like we mentioned before, mm-hmm. that it's doesn't quite class as a crime. Um, there are still things that can be done. So um, the offenders might be given warnings um, from, from the police and they also might be offered community resolution. Uh, this mm. is with the victim's consent and this is you know, victim-led. So that would be where the victim and the offender have the opportunity to almost sit down together and uh, the victim can sort of explain the impact that the, um, what the offence had on them. Mm. Um, it's also known as restorative justice. Um, and that can be quite a powerful way of explaining to somebody why what they did affected them and why it's not okay um, mm. especially when perhaps somebody is ignorant like we mentioned yeah. um, to to what they're actually doing and, and not really is aware of the harm that they can cause um, so there's been some of our cases that have chosen to go down the sort of community resolution route mm. rather than uh, prosecuting or sort of going through a court case um, and some victims feel that actually that gives them the power back because then they get mm. to educate the offenders and hopefully prevent further attacks from happening. So mm. in a way, you know, you're not only doing something good for yourself, you're doing something good for the rest of your community as well. Um, so it can be powerful. But obviously, most of the time, people just want the abuse to stop. They want mm. the offender to stop doing what they're doing. And sometimes, you know, the way that they want to see that is a criminal conviction um, or yeah. sort of more than a warning um, mm. and, and sort of go down the criminal route then. Yeah, and I think it's it's really it's really powerful. I'm actually curious about the restorative justice. How mm-hmm. effective has that actually been? 
I mean, and it really varies. So, like, I wouldn't be able to say mm-hmm. it is one hundred percent affected or not. We've had some clients that have found it extremely effective mm-hmm. and extremely powerful, um, and it's really given them a sense um, of confidence as well that they have been able to educate these people. They have then apologized for what they have done. They have recognized that what they were doing was wrong, mm-hmm. um, and they've said that they that that conversation has changed their minds. You know, so changed attitudes, changed beliefs through you know a really quite simple intervention mm. um whereas other people kind of feel like why should i have to explain to this person why the what they're doing is wrong you know why should i have to put yeah. myself through that yeah. um so you know each person is so different you know that no two cases are the same um and that's why with the work that we do we always encourage everything to be completely victim-led and we'll mm. talk through the options and, you know, sort of what potentially could happen and, and what they feel they need or want from the situation. Yeah, I think it's 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 quite interesting to actually observe why people actually, you know, uh, get into hate crime in the first place. Mm. Or they just see someone that they, let's say someone who identifies as, let's say, a girl and he uh, she looks like a guy, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of people will just be like, you know, calling them a different name mm-hmm. they're not using the proper pronouns mm-hmm. to actually call them by that name yeah and yeah like the thing is it's a it's a it's a very heated topic but i don't think it's going to kill you if you use a pronoun that someone's comfortable with right because at yeah. the end of the day it's their choice it's not like you're going to die by yeah. calling them that Absolutely, yeah. so i think that that's actually in my opinion one small form of hate crime mm-hmm. and like i think it, it's difficult for people to to try and understand that mm-hmm. or to be ignorant to it but I'd also just like to say that there's so many different ideas, mm. right? There's so many different cultures, there's so many different religions, so many different belief systems mm-hmm. that it just boils down to straight ignorance and a lack of respect for someone else's values. And that's where I think restorative justice might actually come and, uh, you know, uh, play a prominent role in actually resolving hate crime. Absolutely. And like yeah. you mentioned, with you know, misgendering, for many people, that might be an accident. And, mm. you know, it's, you know, a case of apologizing, but making the real conscious effort not to do it again. But yeah. when we kind of see it lie into hate crime charity is when somebody is purposefully misgendering somebody yeah. on purpose, going around telling other people, talking about that person, you know, in and misgendering them on a more deliberate occasion. Um, and, and classing it as you know an accident yeah um, so that yeah it's um yeah. it's again another hard one to prove like a lot yeah. of hate crime is falls down to yeah. yeah um and then to answer your second part of the question about sort of yeah, what, why what motivates hate, yeah. hate crime yeah i mean there's lots there's lots of different reasons i think and it's really hard to just be able to say you know one blanket reason as to why all offenders commit mm. crime for all, all types of crime not just hate crime there's been a lot of, sort of research out there around um, people committing crime when they feel hate crime when they feel threatened, mm. um, and I don't mean like a violent threat or a physical threat, uh, a threat of um, you being in competition with a minority group for mm. jobs, for yeah. um, welfare, for access to the NHS. People are feeling threatened that immigrants in particular yeah. are coming over taking their livelihood changing what is the sort of british in inverted commas uh, <laughs> way of life um and they see them as a threat to what they're used to their social norms and that is not just race you know that could be sexual orientation and gender identity but how people mm-hmm. they feel are challenging those gender norms how um they're challenging heteronormativity and mm. it's people lash out because they feel threatened um and that's sort of one sort of theory which 
I feel fits in quite a lot to what we see is that um, people are being told to go back to where they came from mm. because you know they're, they're ruining the NHS um, they stop taking our yeah. jobs they're constant phrases that people are being subjected to um, mm. and then there's you know other people that perhaps um, when we see spikes after terrorist incidents for example yeah, that you mentioned yeah, yeah. it's those people they're not feeling threatened by <laughs> a minority group because mm. of what the media are portraying um, and then they feel that they need to protect themselves and their family and their, um, the people that they're in their group if that makes sense um, yeah. And the way to do that is to fight back. They're seeing it as fight mm. back against these people. It's kind of and ironic, just, yeah. Because <laughs> no so... one's put up fists in the first place. No, yeah. You're the one who's perpetuating the violence. Mm-hmm. And perhaps I'll also just kind of lend my own story to mm-hmm. it because, yeah, as as a practicing Muslim, mm-hmm. I feel like you know sometimes you get those weird stares in the airport and everything. Mm. And at one point, I was actually stopped at uh, John F. Kennedy um, International Airport. Mm-hmm. And they interrogated me and they just asked blatantly, I'd say, Islamophobic questions. Really? It's like, oh yeah, did you go to Madrasa when you were younger? Oh did you go to, uh, did you read the Quran? Like, what do you do on Fridays? What? And like, what do you do after school? And I was right there without an adult. I was underage. Oh, no. And they refused my teacher to come in. So quite frankly, it was an illegal um, you know, it's illegal interrogation, interrogation yeah. <laughs> of a minor. And I just didn't want to cause any trouble because yeah. I didn't want to get deported. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, it was a traumatizing experience for me, but I think it comes from a level of misunderstanding. Absolutely. You know, because I'd, like, I can tell you straight out, my religion doesn't promote violence. Absolutely not. Right, it promotes self-defense mm-hmm. in very, very, very particular situations mm-hmm. that don't apply in today's society. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you find out that even in the media, and I, I suppose we're going to move into this next, mm-hmm. in the media, the way they word certain things mm-hmm. is inherently problematic Absolutely. for me. Mm-hmm. Because you'll find that someone will go and shoot up a mosque in New Zealand, mm-hmm. and they call it a shooting. Mm-hmm. But someone will go and shoot up another place in Germany or something, and it's a terror attack. Mm-hmm. And someone will go up and shoot a school, and they'll just call it a school shooting. But while, in fact, it's actually a terrorist attack because mm-hmm. you're driving terror through, you know, mm-hmm. that specific act. So yeah. I think in that way, people see that, OK, this is the specific criteria that this person will fit. So if they look like this, they equal terrorist. Because mm-hmm. you will see, isn't it, when a white male is a perpetrator, they're often being deemed as having mental health issues. Mm. You know, there's, yeah. that they had a sort of terrible upbringing that they, you know, there's almost not a level of sympathizing with that person, but they're given extra additions as to why they could have done this terrible mass shooting. Yeah. Um, whereas if it's a person of colour, they don't get that same, not justification, that's the wrong word, but... Yeah. yeah you know? <laughs> I think they, they, they like to call it um, self-radicalisation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I find it just kind of... It doesn't really make sense to me because you can't really radicalise yourself mm-hmm. unless you, you've taken a very strict interpretation uh, or a very warped uh, like interpretation of the religion itself, mm-hmm. right, of Islam, right? So it's like you'll find, yeah, someone who is Muslim will commit that crime, but they'll they'll be shooting up a place because they are mentally ill. Mm-hmm. But that'll never enter the news reports. No, absolutely It'll not. never enter the news. You mm-hmm. hear that, oh, this person's uncle came from this country. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I think a lot of people, actually, when they're dealing with uh, hate crime uh, towards Muslim individuals, that's all they see. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing is it's perpetrated by, you know, politicians like Boris Johnson mm-hmm. saying that people wearing burqas are like, like letterboxes, you know, yeah. it's just offensive stuff like that. So um, do you think in that way people on social media or politicians themselves mm-hmm. can fuel hate crime? 
yeah, I mean, they there'd be very few sort of political organisations that will actively promote the, the violence or actively promote yeah. people to go out and be hostile towards minority groups. But the language that they use hmm. is almost allowing it to be justified. And, you know, the hostile language that is used around minority groups hmm. then allows people everyday people on the street to be able to justify their actions because they feel that there's a sense um, of a political climate where it's acceptable to have these views mm. because we're almost being taught these views. Um, mm. So, and it, you don't feel that there's going to be any consequence for doing it. It's sort of become more acceptable in society mm. to have those views um, and, you know, to have this sort of, again, inverted commas, this free speech <laughs> around what, yeah. you're, what you can say and what you can't say, um, regardless of whether it's racist or Islamophobic or, you know, whatever. Um, and that is obviously then fueled when uh, a politician makes um, some sort of statement mm. or this big poster that is um, uh, up in all the local areas sort of making you feel even more isolated and um, the people who are not in the minority then feel that they are more justified mm. to, to carry out and say these things without any consequences. Um, and I think it also, in the same way, it makes people feel more confident to say those things and behave mm-hmm. those ways, it makes victims feel less likely that they can come forward because, the like I said, the people, the media and um, the politicians are almost giving it the go-ahead. So why on earth then would you think that you could report it and that something could be done about it if you feel like the people in power aren't having your back if that makes yeah, sense yeah. so it kind of it's like kind of has a double whammy effect where offenders mm. feel more confident to say what they want to say and victims feel less confident mm. to be able to stand up against it and reach out um, yeah. and then I think with that combined it can be a really horrible situation and obviously that's again generalising not mm. all victims will feel that way um, yeah. but it, it can make people it affects people's self esteem yeah, definitely, and I think it's a it's a huge problem if the politicians are propagating such, uh, you know, hate hateful mm. language, or they're trying to zero out a group of people because, as you said, people won't report it. Mm. And the worst thing is g- gives the uh, the politicians even more ammunition because they'll be like, "Well, there's no hate crime because no one's going to report it, so mm. it doesn't enter the statistics." Yeah. So, how much hate crime do you think is actually not reported mm. from your side? I mean, it's hard to put a number on it, but we mm. know that we've just got the tip of the iceberg with what we are supporting and what we're dealing with. You mm. know, just from speaking to people who have come forward to us and providing that support, just when we explore with them about, you know, if this was the first time, I mean, most of the time this isn't the first time this has happened. Mm. You know, 10, 20 times before, but this is the first time they've done anything about it. And most of the time we ask, you know, why why that is? And they say, because I just had enough this time. It was just too much. Too much. It's like they've been pushed to absolute breaking point. Mm. Um, and so all of those incidents before weren't being captured, aren't being reported. You know, we could have provided support at the beginning and perhaps mm. something could have been done at the beginning from a police perspective as well. Um, but for a lot of people, and obviously no fault at all of their own, but they feel that they can't go until they can't cope until they can't mm. do it anymore um so just from that experience we know that so much isn't being reported um or from we've done sort of focus groups before with different sort of minority groups and you know everyone has said that if they haven't experienced somewhat something then their friends have or their family members have mm. um you know there's always somebody that they know who that's has gone experienced through it, it. Yeah. yeah and that's yeah. just doesn't it doesn't reflect in the numbers that we see yeah, that's quite unfortunate, I think, mm. it's because 
<clears throat> the support is there. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are just kind of, I think, maybe scared not to report, or they just feel as if they 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 can cope with it on them on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which makes me want to ask: um, When do you think people should report hate crime? As soon as it happens. As soon as it happens. Absolutely. When as soon as it's safe and they're able to do it, report it. Mm. Um, and so there's different ways that you can do that. So if you feel like you're in an emergency situation where your your um, your life is at risk or you feel threatened, you can call 999. You mm-hmm. know, I think a lot of people feel like they can't call 999 if that's the case. But, you know, if they feel that they're in an emergency situation, they absolutely can. Um, if it's a non-emergent situation, they can call 101. Um, and they can if they don't want to report to the police, they can also report it to us at Victim Support. Mm. Um, so we're what we call a third-party reporting centre, which mm. means that we can either report the incidents to the police on their behalf, so that if they don't want to have any um, sort of engagement or if they feel a bit intimidated or, or even on the, the flip side, they feel like it's not serious enough, we mm. can report it for them. Um, or they can just report it to our centre, and we'll make a, a log of what's happened and um, and why they felt it was motivated by hate. And they can do that for as long as they want to. And then if they ever feel that they're ready to report it all to the police, then it's all sort of logged, ready for them, and we can mm. send that over. Um, and uh, so we're a service that is funded by Welsh Government. So the kind of the um, incidents that we have is also reported back to Welsh Government. So even if for a lot of people they say, I don't want any police action, I don't want any support, I just want to log that this happened. Mm. Um, you know, and that's what we can do. We can log that it's happened and it's fed back to Welsh government that this has been happening, whether or not it's been reported to the police or not. Yeah, that's a useful one because, I mean, it respects people and their <clears throat> privacy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also gives the Welsh government a heads up that this is a problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, personally, as an international student, mm-hmm. um, I think Cardiff, from what I've seen so mm-hmm. far, um, is quite diverse. Mm-hmm. So it's not as bad as some other areas. Yeah. I'm guessing mm-hmm. where there's just literally like a, a literally a, a minority that you can point out. Yeah. So I mean that's a good thing on Cardiff's side. Yeah. Um, but I kind of want to segue into a different sort of topic now. Mm-hmm. Um, a major question that some people might want to find out about is where do you draw the line between cyberbullying mm-hmm. and hate crime? This is a really difficult one because yeah. <laughs> um, there is no, and ag- again, I might be I might be wrong on this, but there is no sort of clear cut um, mm. sort of. As soon as somebody says this, it it makes it this. I think with online hate, there are specific um, sort of police and powers and, mm-hmm. and just laws that can be done around sort of cyber crime in general, mm-hmm. um, and. It, again, when it is being when when you can show that there's um, motivation for prejudice and hostility against one of the five or or more than one of the five protected characteristics, mm-hmm. that's when it sort of enters the the hate realm, um, and then it could be classed as an incident if it's not a criminal offence. So I guess there's no sort of black or white answer to that. Mm-hmm. But if you have experienced online comments that have been directed to uh, one of your five protected characteristics, again, sorry, or more than one of your five protected, um, then you can report it. Um, mm. And 
it will then sort of be up to the police as to terms of evidence and um, sort of what the sort of scale of the situation is as to how far they can take that forward. Um, but you should always report it if you feel like that's the case. I mean, um, if it, even if it's just bullying, and I say just, you know, sort of lightly, but if it's bullying, you can still report this to the social media sites. Um, mm. And, you know, technically then things should get taken down. And, yeah, um, ideally. Ideally, yeah. Yeah, I think one, one major issue, though, is... Um, as as far as social media is concerned, is that um, it kind of internationalizes hate crime, Absolutely. and it also gives that gives someone confidence because if someone is <clears throat> literally commenting all these different things, and we've seen it on different sites, I think in the U.S. when they had a lot of I think police that were posting on Facebook, like you know all these racist things, and right. yeah, uh, that was actually motivating them um, once they were in the field. They were talking about how. How you know how they were dealing with black people in a very rough manner, and they were literally posting it on Facebook. But I think one major issue with social media is that one, of course, it internationalizes hate mm-hmm. crime. So like someone could be bullying you, or like um, they could be committing this hate crime mm-hmm. in the states. So there's no way you can get help, mm-hmm. right? Um, you possibly could get emotionally, you know, based help. Yeah. But at the same time, it also gives people confidence mm-hmm. because you can hide behind a username. Absolutely. Yeah. And it becomes difficult for police to investigate that. It does, yeah. yeah. And it gives, um, you know, the enormity of it, the fact that you can access it so easy, you can access mm. it anywhere you are pretty much, um, and that you can reach so many people um, just gives, I think, that that push for people who can maybe control their prejudices in mm. everyday, you know, sort of real life scenarios. Yeah. But with all those things combined, then it just makes them able to have, to have that confidence, like you've said, mm. around being able to say these things online. And there's some really mm. interesting research that's being done at Cardiff University at the moment looking at online hate crime and how mm. um, when when there are sort of spikes, um, let's say there is a terror incident, mm. um, if if we are in a sort of population of high BME people um, and there's a spike in hate crime and if there is then uh, sorry a spike in a, 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 like a terrorist incident mm-hmm. if there is an increased <clears throat> amount of online hate online then that has got a strong correlation with online uh, with yeah. hate crime in real life mm. um, so it just kind of shows that um, when more people have the confidence to um, be hateful online it encourages everyone who's seeing that, who's clicking it, who's liking it, retweeting it, to then have more confidence to do it in real life. Yeah. Um, because they feel like they're almost backed up by a lot of people who are feeling the same way as them. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's 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 something that a lot of people underestimate, especially when they are in the public eye, mm. that your words actually carry weight because mm-hmm. you have all kinds of people who are following you all kinds of people who are liking your content or producing content of their own so literally whatever you say they're going to most likely follow Mm -hmm. i think that becomes very dangerous because you'll see let's say hashtag terrorist attack london Mm -hmm. and it's like you you'll see something you see this is why we should never let those immigrants in you know oh yeah these muslims back at it again you know Mm -hmm. they all start from comments but Again, it gives you that sense of security. It's like people online are backing me up. Yeah, definitely. So, and it's sort of, it's not really material, but like you feel like you're being backed up by people that you've never met in your life before. Yeah. And that pushes you to commit hate crime. It does. And then 
another thing again some people underestimate the level i mean the, the lens that this can go to right mm. obviously in 1990 i think it was 1996 when the rwandan genocide happened mm-hmm. i'm not sure exactly a lot of people underestimate like you know the power of the voice because they used radios to actually tell um different communities to go and kill other communities mm-hmm. and that fueled the rwandan genocide people mm-hmm. say it's one of the main reasons why it got out so quickly and the people who were in charge of the radio stations actually got arrested and they mm-hmm. were tried and thankfully they were convicted mm-hmm. but yeah i think social media it's it's a huge problem yeah i mean it's a really similar way yeah. isn't it it's a, it's a quick easy method of communication to the masses um and you don't see the harm that is causing the person that you're mm. targeting um all you see is the likes and the retweets and the people mm. agreeing with you um making you feel um sort of popular in a way yeah. um yeah. and sort of adding to your your ego and confidence around your that mm. subject um yeah. all the while the the victim remains sort of like almost nameless and um not able to speak out um and i know the people who feel like they have spoken out in the past on you know social media have then just had more abuse um mm. so it's and i think that we when we sort of class or look at online hate crime it can look quite low level or they call me this on facebook they call me mm. that on twitter mm. but you know the isolating effect that that can have pardon <coughs> me on victims mm. when they're the, and, and the thing is the one of the, the most horrible things that are said are said online because yeah. you're not saying it to their face there's yeah. no that guilt there is is not there that any sense of morality or just humanness mm. is taken away um so often people are subjected to the most vile you know pieces of hate that have come from online and there's no there's no one there to sort of support them there's no one there to um you know it's it's harder to report to the police it's harder to to prosecute and to criminalize um yeah, and yeah. all of these things together can just make the victim feel completely isolated many say they have to come off social media they have to uh, change their routines they have to change something about their life in order mm. to just not be victimized um and that's something that we see a lot in hate crime not just online as well as the people who are victimized by it will have to change their routine in order to not become a victim mm. again where you know it should be that the offender has to change their behavior in order for you not to be a victim again but yeah. more often or not it's is the people that have to now take taxis everywhere because they can't go on public transport or have to walk a different mm. way to work because if they go that way then they bump into this person and Gosh. you know and it's you know it's every bit of your life then you have to think right what can i do to minimize the hate, risk yeah, yeah and the risk of, of of being a victim of hate crime and that's not okay you know and that affects that affects you as a person when you're constantly thinking of ways to be safe mm. um and you know that's not how we should be in 2020 <laughs> yeah yeah i definitely agree um and yeah we'll move into the last two sections of mm-hmm. the podcast i think um so the first thing i'd wanted to ask you uh was in relation to um yeah hate crime itself when you're dealing with victims like what what challenges has social media uh you know presented you with and mm-hmm. have you had to deal with people who have been on social media and have had to get off of it mm-hmm. like yeah. wh- just explain briefly what you've had to deal with yeah so we we have seen you know an increase of that of, of <clears> people <throat> coming to us where they've been abused online um, mm. and on social media also people that receive um, emails from anonymous sources um oh, wow. so you know it's not always just on social media um, and it is a it's a challenge for us because um, 
like we've mentioned, it's really hard to police, and you can't mm. always, you know, get a criminal um, conviction as yeah. you would want out of it. Um, quite often, advice revolves around coming off that social media platform, which mm. in itself is quite damaging for somebody who might be isolated anyway. Um, so if I just take somebody with a sort of disability, for example, that means that they can't get out of the house a lot. Um, being online and maybe having friends on a forum or um, mm. having a you know that's your social network is on social media then mm. being told in order to stop the abuse from happening you need to just come off that social media platform it's yeah. not really an option you know without it actually damaging them more and creating more harm so quite often that's the advice given is to do that but that's not always what's right and what's thing, best yeah. for the victim um so you know we kind of in terms of our support we try and look at ways to make them safer online so you know if they haven't already making sure their accounts are private not accepting friend requests of people they don't know um mm. you know sort of really going through your, your social media and making sure that um no one can contact you if you don't know who they are they're not a trusted person um, and sort of look at trying reducing the harm rather than just sort of coming off social media and it being yeah. taken away in that respect. Yeah. Um, but also then it, we just do then the emotional support because it has usually affected people quite a lot from reading what they've said and thinking that all these people agree with them and, and, um, and how that feels. So mm. um, from our experiences, that's the kind of thing that people have, are facing. Um, and it, do, it does mean that people have come off social media, you know, then that's sometimes, like I said, is the advice that is given. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So what do you think that um, the heads of these big social media companies mm. and, <clears throat> of course, the users as well, what mm. can they, they do to prevent, perhaps, or try and tackle hate crime in a more, um, I'd say, refined fashion compared yeah. to what they're doing now? I mean... Is you know it's uh, I think that a lot of people that I know have experienced have gone have reported it to the social mm. media, um as per all this sort of operation guidance says to do, but mm. it's been hours days before that tweet has been removed or taken mm. down and since and since then it's had this many retweets or you know interactions mm. and the kind of the damage is kind of done, um obviously prevention would be a lot better than sort of yeah. trying to keep up yeah. with it especially when. Like it is something that has happened nationwide and everyone gets on the social media and wants to mm. have their say it's so hard to then keep up with the hateful comments and yeah. getting them removed um so obviously procedures about how that's done need to be improved um and and what some people have sort of said before is around offenders who are posting this for um, social media to pick up on if anything of what they're saying looks like it's going to be harmful in nature mm. for like a pop-up to say do you really want to post this this could cause harm is mm. this something that you want to do um and for a lot of people the answer would be yes because yes, that's exactly yeah. their intention <laughs> yeah. um but for those people who are maybe a bit misinformed who so getting a bit carried away um who kind of just want to be part of the conversation that might make them think twice about what they're about yeah. to post. Um, I think going one step further and having something that says, do you know that this is a criminal offence? Um, you know, or, you know, yeah. it's, it's hard because obviously um, they won't be able to pick up exactly what, on what everyone says. But if there are words being used that are really clear racial slurs, um, then perhaps something that says, you know, do you know that this could be considered a criminal offence? Do you wish to proceed? Something yeah. like that in order to try and prevent it. Because um, otherwise... 
it's really hard to prevent people saying what they want to say on social media without mm. all the other sort of education for wider society to be taken place first. Yeah, I think it's that's a great idea. Honestly, I, I would definitely agree with that. Although I do see some opposition from people thinking that this might be, you know, social media companies becoming politicized. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, they're taking this specific stance. And mm-hmm. actually, I wanted to ask you this as um, my, my next question, because mm-hmm. for hate crime, it's very important to actually identify that now. Mm-hmm. Um, but in your opinion, um, what are the limits of free speech? Like, where, where does free speech go too far? Are there some <clears throat> opinions that are inherently, you know, hate crime in themselves? Mm-hmm. Like, where, what are the limits of free speech? I think that... I mean, in the most simplest terms, it's, it's it's when what you're saying is is against the law in you know in the UK or mm-hmm. against the Equality Act, when the slurs that you're using are racist slurs, they are homophobic slurs. I mean, mm-hmm. it's quite clear about what is and what isn't. Um, in some cases, anyway, there there is obviously lots of grey areas around people's just general views on what they think. Um, you know, being against same-sex marriage that might be somebody's personal view Mm. um but if they are targeting somebody because of that view then this is where it becomes Mm. discrimination um or you know or a hate incident or a hate crime so Mm. i think it's it's a really difficult question um and really hard to sort of pinpoint black and white because everyone is entitled to an opinion to a view to to think what they want to think we're all individuals but it's where you where that sort of then translates yeah. into targeting somebody because of it, mm. um, and when you are actively acting on those views because you think that they're right or because you think that somebody else is wrong, um, and where it it then becomes a matter of of you projecting your views onto somebody else and it causing harm. Um, yeah, yeah. Like the legal definition is that it has to be motivated by a prejudice or hostility. So prejudice is something that you know I could have, you could have, we could have our prejudice, but it's when we do something that, and the whole reason for it is motivated by that. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. a really hard one to answer. Yeah, it's it's a difficult question yeah. because I think also the, <clears throat> the 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 actual term of free speech is changing because. Um, Previously in the past, if you were to, um, I mean, being homosexual wasn't really accepted worldwide. Mm-mm. And now we're starting to become more of a progressive society. <clears throat> and these are things that we're accepting, right? So, like, free speech back in the 1920s is definitely not, you know, what free speech is a hundred years later. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I think it's also a, tri- it's a tricky question to actually tackle. But yeah, I do agree with you. When you start to target someone, you can obviously, let's say, be against abortion, right? Mm-hmm. But to go up to people that have had abortion and to to sort of vilify them mm-hmm. and you know tell them that they're horrible people, um, I don't think it's personally right because at the end of the day, yeah, you can be upset about it, like you're you're allowed to mm-hmm. you're you're allowed to have those strong feelings about it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you have to realize from that person's point of view, they they have that right for themselves that has been given to them by the government in many different states in the US for example mm-hmm. and here obviously in the UK um, and they probably feel equally strongly about that right as you do yeah that's the thing it's like your personal view about it that's fair enough you're mm-hmm. entitled to your view just as much as that person who you're opposed mm-hmm. to has yeah. a right to feel those views and I think that in the UK we are lucky that we do have a legal framework here 
um, where equality is is protected. You know, there mm. are um, nine protected characteristics under the Equality Act. Um, and there is that legal backing here that mm. actually you're not allowed to be openly homophobic about people. You're not allowed to, you know, mm. be racist because these are protected characteristics. Yeah. Whereas in other countries, you are more than entitled to be homophobic if the you want US to. Movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that legal framework has to underpin what is allowed as free speech and what isn't. Mm. Um, and it, it does have to people have to accept that in the UK it's, it's illegal to do these things. Um, yeah. So, and it's like regardless of your own personal views or your personal take on things, how you act needs to be in accordance with the laws. So. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, again, it's it's a difficult question. I don't think we'll ever have an answer for no. it. Uh, but it's if anyone considering. knows. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's definitely something we need to look into deeper. Mm. And actually, you talked a lot about legal backing. Mm. But as a law student, mm. I mean, I've also known a couple of things here and there, but the legal system, mm-hmm. sometimes it takes a very, very long Absolutely. time to, yeah. take just, like, to actually get the justice. Some people, mm-hmm. it's up to you know five to ten years of just going through the appeals process, mm-hmm. you know, taking your case to court at the first instance and it gets rejected mm. it's a lot of money and um how, how have you been able to cope with uh, or help clients get that legal justice have you managed to take certain cases through what has been your experience taking people who have um offenders of hate crime you know to court mm. <clears throat> well i mean with us so we don't actually provide any legal advice as mm-hmm. um, in our service um however if things are reported to the police then that should all be part of the process for the criminal justice system. And people's experience of the criminal justice system really differ. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, there are sometimes issues where it comes to um, people, you know, having to attend court. And like you've said, that long time it can take yeah. to get from reporting a crime to actually seeing an offender in court. And in fact, along the way, um, uh, people might drop out, uh, might drop a um, sort of, uh, what's the word? might drop their case yeah Um, yeah because for a lot of people that we've spoken to they actually don't want to see the offender behind bars what they want is for the abuse to stop and they want them to be educated and they want them Mm. to change their ways that is uh, quite overwhelming um what most people that we sort of support want obviously there are still many many people that want to see justice Mm. and want to see um the offender reprimanded for what they did um and we provide support all throughout the criminal justice process so from helping you to report the hate crime right at the beginning to helping you um uh, with the police and sort of helping you understand what they need in terms of evidence um sometimes the jargon that is used in the criminal justice system it's, can be yeah, quite, quite heavy yeah. yeah understandable especially when um english isn't somebody's first language mm. um so we provide interpreters to help with that as well mm. um so it, it can be sometimes going through a letter that they've had from the courts, from the Crown Prosecution Service, and sort of just helping them pick out what actually it means. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, legal jargon, I can't get it's my quite, head around yeah, it as a law student. I'm not sure about you. Um, but yeah, so it might be something as, as simple as that, just helping them read a letter. Um, and then we often refer to the witness service as well that mm-hmm. provides a service um, actually on the day of court. They can arrange for pre-trial visits so people can attend the court before their due date um, mm. and they can have a look around, know what to expect. 
Because if you've never been before, you're just expecting what you see on the big television dramas, yeah, aren't you? And it's yeah. not always yeah, it's not like really. that. Um, yeah. So they can have a look around and can know what to expect on the day, which I think um, helps a lot because it's a lot of fear of the unknown, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. And there's also special measures that people come and request, like to have a screen up. Um, so they don't have to sort of see the offender at all in the courtroom. Oh, wow. um, yeah, they can even give evidence via video link if the court allow it. So there are special measures that victims of hate crime um, are entitled to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has all has to be applied for. So it's not just a given. Um, but you can't, there are those options for people that do feel extremely intimidated and vulnerable by, you know, by the offender. Mm. Um, so there are options um, throughout the whole criminal justice process process for additional support um but it really does come down to about what that victim wants out of the situation yeah definitely Mm -hmm. um and i guess this is going to be the last section of the podcast Mm -hmm. before we wrap up Mm -hmm. um but i just wanted to know about the role of the youth does it seem like the the youth in most cases are perpetrating hate crime or is it does it tend to be people who are older like what has been your experience of that and then also uh, as the youth, what role do you think that we can play in actually, you know, reducing hate crime and mm-hmm. actually educating others about different cultures? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have any sort of particular stats. We can say we're a victim mm-hmm. support led charity, so we don't tend to gather any information on the offenders. Um, but just like anecdotally, what we've seen, um, there are, there is you know, quite a lot of racism in schools that, that happens. Oh, um, yeah. And that can be from, you know, pupil to pupil. Um, so, it, you know, it does happen amongst the youth. Youth are offenders, you know, as, as mm. well as adults. Um, even though we kind of always want to see our youth as progressive and as, you know, yeah. being brought up in a world where it's different from, you know, where older people, older generations were brought up. But it does still happen. And there is unpicking that needs to be done about why these children have these views. Is it learned behaviour from parents? Is it stuff mm. that they've seen in the media? Or is it just within their own right, their own views? Or not yeah. in their own right, but um, you know, just their own views. So it does happen with um, amongst the youth and in schools and in colleges. Um, but the, the majority of the cases that we see are usually adult offenders. Um, mm. Adult male offenders um, tend mm. to be um, anecdotally, um, what we see more of. Um, what was the second part? Of the the question? second question is, uh, what is we, what 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 can we do as the youth, right, uh, yeah. to be able to reduce hate crime? <clears throat> I think that you know, the I mean, in the past week, definitely, there's been obviously this big push to be kinder to mm. to people, and and obviously that phrase is being used um, frequently at the moment, and I think that is what the youth can actually lead on. Um, mm. is setting the way and setting an example of how we should treat each other um, being open to each other's differences celebrating mm. each other's differences rather than it being pitted against each other um, and I think that like I've mentioned previously some of the motivation for hate being around feeling mm. um, in, almost in competition with a minority group to get access to services to get jobs to get yeah. um, a better way of life um, and people can use minority groups as the blame whereas the youth if they are now brought up and understand that that is often misinformation and if they're taught to fact check and not always believe yeah. what the media are saying if they're taught to think for themselves and do their own research on what what matters to them 
um, I think that they can absolutely pave the way um, in the future of um, being a more tolerant and um, cohesive society. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, first of all, congratulations on what you're doing with, you know, victim support. I think um, you're obviously helping educate a lot of the youth on a lot of this. Uh, but I think um, also from my side, yeah, I do completely w- agree with what you're saying. And I think that as the youth, we need to just evaluate, first of all, our views. And we need to take every single opportunity to learn about and understand different cultures mm-hmm. and how they function, um, their customs, their norms, what are their values, mm-hmm. what are the different ways in which they dress. And I think that wherever you have the chance, um, if you have the chance to ever study abroad uh, and let's say you have the chance to get a scholarship, go ahead and do that because I'd say that, I'd argue, obviously I'm not really backed up by stats, but I'm talking from personal experience, mm-hmm. right? But anecdotally, right, I've experienced so many different cultures, especially mm-hmm. from my continent, from my previous high school, mm-hmm. that I'm more tolerant and all these stereotypes that I managed to see were actually false. Mm-hmm. Most of them were. And you just begin to realize that culture isn't something that's just, you know, rigid. It's something that's very nuanced, mm-hmm. right? And it's not even just culture where, the, where it comes to race, where it comes to this and that, religion. You know, it all comes with its different nuances. Not everyone from every specific group is, you know, of a certain kind of, you know, breed of person, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So that's one way in which we can be able to tackle. Use social media responsibly. If you see hate crime online, don't be afraid to call it out. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously like just also protect yourselves too Mm -hmm. i'd say so absolutely yeah um and you know you can report it on behalf of the people as well so if you see something that you don't think is right uh that the person who was targeted might not want to do anything about it but you can do something and say i've seen this and i don't think that's okay you know Mm. so you can stand up for other people as well yeah, um, definitely. And just agreeing what you said, really, because I, you know, from my own personal experience, I mm. was uh, brought up in the valleys where uh-huh. I think we had one family that was not white from, and Welsh. <laughs> um, yeah. it, and so for me, I didn't see any if, different type of culture, mm-hmm. never saw anybody practice any of a faith other than Christian. Yeah. Um, so I, when I came to, and, and literally this is half an hour down the road, so when I came to Cardiff University, it was kind of like an eye-opener for me and mm. um, all these cultures that I didn't know. And yeah. it was, you know, for, but for me, it was excited to learn about and intrigued to learn about. Yeah. And, you know, it was, oh, wow, you know, you do this and, oh, we don't do that. And, you know, it was um, an eye-opener, but in a really positive way. Yeah. Um, but if I hadn't, you know, I often wonder if I hadn't gone to university, even mm. if it's literally just half an hour down the road, would what type of person would I be? What kind of stereotypes would not have been broken? Um, yeah. you know, if I had if I'd not opened myself up to meeting new people and experiencing new things. Yeah. Um and that's just my own sort of personal experience. Um yeah. but there are a lot of people that are in more rural or sort of valley communities that are just not exposed to different cultures and different people. And that's yeah. not necessarily their fault. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, yeah. but you know, I think that we could all do more to make sure that all um, diverse diverse communities are brought together more and everyone learns from each other more. And, you know, there are lots of good sort of little events that happen um, sort of across South Wales that are mm. all about that, all about bringing different people together yeah. to learn and to, you know, experiencing different food and, you know, just yeah, stuff like that. that just, yeah, different music. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and I think stuff like that goes a long way um, mm. in terms of, 
fighting the larger sort of battle of of community tension and, and inevitably hate crime yeah definitely like I, I would agree with you um i would also just perhaps like to add that um when it comes to multiculturalism mm. yeah as usual just take take every step that you can to to obviously learn about other cultures mm-hmm. but also realize that when someone doesn't or they have certain stereotypes and what i might say might sound controversial but it's not mm-hmm. in the in the light like i'd like anyone to take it in but a lot of people just see the offenders as oh inherently bad people yeah but they themselves are also victims of whether it's an upbringing mm-hmm. or the victims of being um you know prey to you know this um these media tabloids i'm just going to use the sun because i openly hate the sun <laughs> and the way they address um things like immigration the way they've single-handedly bullied people um just you know they're victims of the surroundings mm-hmm. and we should always take that as an opportunity to educate Mm-hmm. rather than actually to use um, whether it's a verbal or physical violence against mm-hmm. these people of course if it comes down to self-defense you do what you need to do within mm-hmm. your reasonable means mm-hmm. but I think it you have to be preemptive about the way you're educating people and realize that they also it's it's not really their fault a lot of the times unless they've <laughs> properly like chosen that as their route yeah so yeah definitely that's what I'd have yeah. to say I think yeah. that that's a really mature and inspirational way really to look at things and um and I and I that kind of echoes what a lot of people say to us as well that we mm. support that, you know they just that that person they just want them to know that what they've received is misinformation they just want mm. to educate them moving forward so that they don't continue to do it to other people, um you know so that really does echo what mm. a, a lot of people that we support have been saying to us. Definitely. And do you have any final things to say? Um, just finally, I just think I'd want to say that um kind of no matter how trivial you think what has happened to you is, no matter how much part of an everyday routine that is mm. for you to receive abuse um, because of who you are, it, it's never okay. And that you, you know, you can always uh, speak to somebody about it. You can speak to us, but you can speak to friends, you can speak to family. Yeah. Um, you know, don't keep it bottled up to yourself. Um, you know, we can help you report to the police if that's what you want to do. Um, and, you know, we always encourage people to go to the police in the first instance if they feel that they have been targeted. But it's, it's just really to end on that you should never feel um, that being targeted for you are is, is trivial um, or that is too, too small for the police to be dealing with or, mm. you know, you don't want to bother other people with. Um, is who you are and I want everyone to feel proud of who they are um, and yeah just to, to <laughs> yeah essentially yeah, yeah just, just to, to report it all right yeah thank you so much Jess it's been a wonderful time having a chat with you here and I hope uh, for the viewers that you've been able to take something useful out of this um, we're going to be releasing some new episodes quite soon so please be in tune for that uh, this is meant to be a surprise episode, so <laughs> um, we'll be releasing it along with the other episode with the SM podcast. So thank you everyone for tuning in. Much love, peace and positivity and have a wonderful evening slash day.